Today's episode of the Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Calshi. We've talked about a few key events on this show recently, notably the debt ceiling negotiation going on right now. And we've come across a platform that allows you to trade directly on its outcome. Calshi is a federally regulated exchange backed by Sequoia Capital, Y Combinator, Charles Schwab, and other top investors that have invented a new asset class, event contracts. Event contracts allow investors to take yes or no positions on events such as whether the U.S. will default on its debt obligations, whether the Fed will hike rates in June, what Biden's approval rating will be next month, and much more. Calshi's event contracts allow you a chance to profit from being right about where the world is heading in targeted ways and is offering Real Vision listeners $15 when they sign up using the link calshi.com slash realvision right now. Again, that's calshi.com slash realvision to claim your $15 credit now. Is this the top of the economic cycle? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Eric Johnson, Head of Equity Derivatives and Cross Asset for Cantor Fitzgerald. Hi, Eric. Maggie, how are you? I'm doing Happy well, thanks. Yeah, great to see you. So it's so interesting to watch these markets because, you know, once again, we're seeing stocks rally, technology rally, but we're they're doing it sort of heading into a really big, important economic release Friday, right? We have the U.S. jobs report. I mean, there's been so much going on with the debt ceiling. We've, it's sort of been a little bit on the back burner, but NASDAQ up over 1%. What, what's driving the gains here? So I think, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, tomorrow's number, um, I think it's really going to matter only if it's a extreme number in either direction. So you had the, the Timoros article come out yesterday talking about how the Fed is going to pause, you know, unless there is a, a, a big payroll number. So I think you'd need to see a print probably north of 300 to 350,000 for it to be a problem on the high side where people think, okay, now the Fed is going to go in, in June. And then I think on the downside, you know, it would have to be probably below 100,000 to get those, you know, real economic concerns um, going anywhere in the middle and equities probably take it, um, you know, take it okay. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the, the strength that you referred to, equities continue to be um, extremely uh, resilient. And um, we, I think we've seen that for a number of, of different reasons that we can go into. But certainly the liquidity picture, you know, over the last seven months has been favorable. Um, the expanding budget deficit has been favorable, right? It's been a stimulus. And then, of course, AI. Um, which is a, uh, a a big theme out there that is, that is clearly having material impact on the overall broad you know indices. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we'll 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 hit on all these topics, but when it comes to the uh, the economy, so mm -hmm. that's interesting in terms of market reaction. That has to be it has to be ex extreme one way or the other. So otherwise, it's sort of like Goldilocks in the middle. Where are we with the economy, though? Because we, we, it's in some respects, it seems like we're seeing real signs of deterioration, weakness, and then in other areas, things look strong and resilient. Where are we here? I mean, are we kind of rolling over? Is there a lag? How are you thinking about this? So I think we're, I think we're at the top of the cycle, and I think we are currently, um, if you want to think of the cycle, we're sort of plateauing as we speak, and and, and I do think it's going to turn. Uh, lower, and I, I'll go into into why. So, the unemployment rate 
is currently 3.4%. I think by most people's definition, we are currently at, uh, at full employment. And so, um, as we all know, the you know economy goes in in cycles, and typically bull markets start after we've seen a significant contraction in employment. And the whole idea is that you've seen this contraction, and then you now have a path forward where you can say, I think employment can now be added to for year quarters and years to come, and that's going to be the backbone of stimulating uh, growth, and hence mm. I'm willing to pay more for equities because I see this clearer path. When you're at full employment, um, you know people say, of course, that there's always a recession in front of you. That recession is much more likely when you're already at uh, full employment that it's more likely around the corner. And if you look at the consumer right now, you know, as you said, there's a very mixed picture going on right now from a goods perspective. Um, you can see this, there, there's clearly weakening going on and it's fairly material and it's also at the moment focused towards the, the lower end. So today you saw Macy's uh, report earnings um, and they had a pretty big uh, guide down and they they referenced the, the consumer. We had Dollar, Dollar General um, also referencing the, the low end. Um, but at the same time, we're also, you know, an ISM manufacturing, very goods oriented indicator. While at the same time, service remains mm-hmm. remains strong. Um, we saw that with American Airlines two, two days ago, uh, raising guidance for the quarter. So it is a mixed picture. However, if you look at the broader trends, the consumer is taking on much more debt. Um, you can see that in the uh, credit card usage, not at problematic, problematic levels yet, but the direction um, I think is concerning. If you look at delinquencies, Delinquencies are rising at a fairly uh, material pace, not at problematic levels yet, but the direction um, I think uh, I think is. And, and then you look at savings; those are in decline, though still high. And so it's one of these things where the consumer and the economy entered this rate hike cycle in in very very good shape because of all the fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus we had seen. So as a result, it's taking a lot longer for the economy to um, to slow down and and eventually roll over. So I think it is going to happen. And I think our best case scenario is because we are at that full employment level is that our, I think our best case is that we would muddle along at a very low growth uh, environment with sticky inflation. Yeah, which we know in and of itself is problematic. Um, Dr. Block, you were asking about one ISM under 50. And I think, Eric, you make a great point about it being this sort of, you know, two two tier or two track economy, one on the good side and one on the services side. And they are behaving very differently. And that's a, a layover from the pandemic. But maybe you argue it's, it's you know, something more structural now. Uh, so um, against that backdrop, so the economy weakening, heading to recession, a lot of people pointed out, listen, this is like the most well-telegraphed recession or yes. most highly anticipated recession in sort of the history of the universe, right? We've all been talking about it, waiting for it. It's taken a lot longer, as you point out. But that's going to be happening at the same time that we're kind of coming through this debt ceiling. And we've had a lot of people coming on talking to us about the kind of mechanics around what has to happen now with the debt ceiling. And I know you're looking at that as well. We've got all of this bond issuance coming, don't we? How is that going to work coming against a weakening economy? 
Yes. So I think the backdrop is, you know, since October, when equities hit their lows, the global liquidity picture has improved by about $800 billion. And at one point, it was about a month ago, it was a total of about $1.4 trillion. So I think it's no coincidence that since the October lows, that equity valuations have moved sharply higher from there. And this liquidity picture improvement has come from the Bank of Japan growing their balance sheet, which is now, uh, which is now paused or, or stopped, and also has come from the draining of the, of the TGA. And so what I think is important is that if you look at the global liquidity picture going forward over the next six to 12 months, um, it looks like it's going to be quite negative. And part of it is the refilling of the TGA, which um, you know, could be $500 billion. Now, some of that, I think, will come from reverse repos, which will negate part of it. But I do think that there will be a pretty significant drain um, from there. But then it goes beyond that, because in addition, you're going to have the LTRO uh, in Europe um, you know, rolling off. You're going to have the ECB and the Fed continuing to be in QT mode, uh, you know, 95 billion a month from from the Fed, and then uh, do the loans that the Fed just made that just, you know, jumped, it caused a significant rise in their balance sheet. Do those start to roll off over the next six to nine months? So I think that there are, and then we of course have a new Fed governor um, at the Bank of Japan, um, and so that's unlikely to see the liquidity that we've seen um, over the past eight months. So I think the liquidity picture is very negative, and I think the correlation remains very high. And so although people are talking about the liquidity drain coming, and many people are talking about the recession uh, possibly coming, uh, I think when those things happen, which I do think both are going to happen, they're going to be negative for, for risk assets. And if equities were to go down, which we think that they will, that will then actually have an exacerbating negative impact on the economy. Yeah, I think that's the worry um, and, and sort of what a lot of you are putting together for us, that you have these things happening at the same time, which is tr problematic. Confusing it all when we look at the, well, first of all, so let's stick to bonds for one second. If that's the case, when you're looking at this issuance, what is that going to mean for bond yields? Because if we were going into a recession, you would think maybe yields have to come down to reflect that if we're finally getting there. But then now you have all this issuance and some people talking about, you know, which which cart's going to lead here because that has the potential to put upward pressure on yields, right? That's right. And and on top of that, you have the 10-year yield which is 180 basis points below the 3 month yield. So it's pricing in already that you're going to see a significant decline in inflation and that's most likely due to a weakening economy that's going to allow the fed to eventually cut and it's pricing in a pretty you know high high degree of likelihood and of that happening and the magnitude pretty significant um you've never seen at least in the last you know 40 years this type of discount in the 10 year yield relative to the three month um and to your point there are cross currents because eventually the Fed's not is going to initially issue bills, but then they'll roll down the road some of that into uh, notes and bonds, and so that will be 
something that will put upward pressure. I think the, uh, you know, the continued with the Fed likely holding, I think for some bit, I think that'll also be a tether higher in yields. But then the counterbalance, of course, will be uh, the weakening economy. What I would say is that right now, equities and the bond market to me are very much out of sync. Mm-hmm. And that right now, I believe that they're saying, you know, two very different things around what the outlook is for the for the economy. Because although people are necess- are talking about a recession, uh, I do not believe at all it's, it's reflected in in equity prices. Yeah, and it's really interesting because so we we just had Beth Kinding on, who's a guest who was on Three Ideas at the beginning of the year, made a really really bullish call on technology, specifically mm-hmm. Nvidia ended up being our top performer for that show because we tracked their performance. And we brought her back sort of mid-year to see how she was feeling. This is what she had to say broadly about the tech sector right now, very much in line with what you were just talking about. Let's listen to a clip from that. Uh, Ultimately, we feel very strongly that tech does not operate uh, in an insulated fashion. So if you look at economically sensitive areas such as small caps, transportation, industrials, these are all very weak. And as much as tech is very special, it absolutely gives us the world's most valuable companies. Uh, it doesn't operate in a vacuum. So we, and tech can get hammered harder than others during any kind of macro weakness or a macro or weak macro narrative. Um, so we prefer broader leadership, even when we're buying. And we saw buy signals October through February, really. And we've paused overall and just held those positions, let them grow. Um, taking gains when we can. And right now we're not buyers, ultimately. Yeah, that that idea that it's hard to see how things stay aloft when you've got the situation deteriorating elsewhere. I think uh, Peter Buffar put it this way, like everybody breathes the same economic air, right? So like to have one sector. By the way, to hear the full interview, including Beth's view on NVIDIA specifically, and three new trade ideas that she likes at this juncture, head over to our platform. Um, If you are not a member, scan the QR code and join. Um, We also have a really fantastic uh, series about AI coming up. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that uh, later in the show. But um, Eric, I think this is the, int- the the really difficult thing, right? So, you know, you have this problem that you see liquidity issues, recession issues, the markets, you know, t- telling you two different tales. All of this makes people nervous. And we've been having a lot of people ask, you know, is are we be- in the beginning of a big retracement? But then you've had this really powerful AI narrative that's come along. And I think it's really confusing for people. How are you thinking about both these things? Just today, we had news that Microsoft made another uh, mm-hmm. acquisition, a core weave, I think, to, to help you know um, fuel its AI computing power. How are you thinking about that? So you know, the first thing I would say is it, it's extremely uh, tricky and challenging. Um, it's, it's a huge variable that's, that's out there. So what we've seen so far is that investors you know, all think, including myself, that AI is going to be revolutionary and it's something that's as big as, you know, the coming of the internet or, you know, bigger than the iPhone launch, et cetera. And, and people want, of course, want to want to profit uh, from it. So the trade so far has been to go into a very select number of names that investors feel are going to be at this point uh, part of or leading 
this AI revolution. And so it's caused positioning within the NASDAQ to actually get, you know, get pretty, go from pretty underinvested five or six months ago to now being very extended and, and investors have kind of piled into uh, a group of five or six different names to play this theme. Uh, what I would say is that, you know, I would agree with the comment that, you know, technology clearly has a secular aspect to it, but it also has a cyclical aspect to it. And I don't think it will look through a recession. Um, in particular, if it's on the you know more aggressive side, um, if you look at times where there have been these material launches of uh, of different things that are similar to AI, if you go back, you know the iPhone was launched in 2007, um, you know which which was clearly revolutionary and has impacted all of our lives, um, and that was in about the middle of 2007. Obviously, that was taken over by the great financial crisis. Um, the internet bubble started in the you know mid to late '90s, and you know ultimately ended with a uh, with a recession. We had a, we had a rate rate hike cycle, and the on you know on, on look of the recession and the actual recession did damage and pop the bubble in the tech sector. If you bought the Nasdaq in or excuse me, the S&P or NASDAQ around January of 97, which is before Amazon went public, um, you were unchanged on that trade in October of 2002. Um, now, obviously, it went up significantly over the next three years. And if you got out, you made money. But the point is, is as revolutionary as this age was, it was an also a time from 97 to 02 that the returns were very poor. So, you know, it, the idea that it's revolutionary and making money off of it are two very different things. I think in the short term, there are clearly money-making opportunities in a lot of these uh, names. That's causing the breath to be what it is, which I don't think in and of itself is a bad thing. Um, but you know, it, it's something that is going to transform things, but cannot, in my view, um, necessarily survive a recession if that ends up what, what you know ends up happening. Okay, underscore exclamation point, bold that everyone. Um, David H on the YouTube chat, I think that answers your question because he was asking if he thinks AI is so big, then why does he think it will fade? Makes no sense. Um, again, we played Beth's and I encourage you all to go listen to her, both her interviews, go back and listen to her talking about the narrative back in the beginning of the year, but she, I, her her views on on some of the sort of fundamentals of what she's talking about are not different. The difference is the market has changed, right? That where everything is and the outlook for the rest of the economy, you always have to update that. So that was a great point, Eric. And I think there are a lot of lessons when you look back in the dot com. By the way, it also matters your time frame because That's if right. you are going to hold for a really long time, and this AI plays out. And you have the ability to withstand a downdraft. You know, maybe that maybe that's different. Maybe you're not going to worry as much as somebody who has a who needs the money more in a shorter time frame. So all of those things are really important and plug in. So thank you for making that point, Eric, because I think it's kind of really confusing for people. Yeah, that, if I could add one more point, is you had you had someone like Bill Gates the other day come out and saying, you know, we don't know who the winners are going to be, um, saying we are not going to search on the internet like we currently do, and mm -hmm. we're likely not going to go to Amazon. And so I think the point is, is that Google is a great example who is on the absolute forefront of AI 
the R&D that they've um, you know, been doing for all these years is, is incredible. But one of the thing, one of the number one things that's going to change is search. And mm-hmm. Google has 93% share in search and it's extraordinarily profitable. So if Google walks away from this and search changes in a material way, and if they walk away with 60% share and different economics, well, sure, they, that 60% share is great, but they gave up the 93% share in a very profitable right. uh, search. So Transitions are hard. Ask anyone who works in the media company. <laughs> we see this playing out. I know you probably all watched the end of succession stuff, but there, there's disruption going on. And sometimes right. the economics, as you make a leap to new technologies, aren't always there. We also know that there are memos leaked about, does anybody really have a moat? anymore. That's going to be a really big issue. By the way, I'm going to take this opportunity right now because we have um, a question. I'm laughing. I don't, I don't know if this is exactly the, the, which I think you asked the question twice, but Matthew was really like raising his hand, waving his arms. First time question asker. Welcome, Matthew, asking, will quantum computers and all the possibilities it brings do the same thing. I'm just going to, we are thinking about all these questions really hard. We're actually, I mentioned before, launching a series. I'm just going to let you all know about it right now um, so that you could sort of set your calendar. Because of all these questions and issues that Eric and I are talking about, we're going to do a a sort of two-week festival of learning, but it's not going to be a day event. It's going to be spread out over the course of a couple of weeks. You've got to sign up for it. We'll tell you how to do that. I think, um, Nick, if you want to put that screen up, if you can, I'm totally front running when we were going to talk about this, but um, you need to, you need to register to do it. Um, But we are going to really sort of tease this out. We're going to talk about what happens, what the hell happens with with this AI wave. Um, And that includes, you know, from a 30,000 level foot businesses, a relationship between machine learning, AI, tokenization, Matthew, to your point, what happens when quantum computing and AI collide? We're going to have an expert in quantum computing. I did an event with him, Nardo. He's amazing. Um, he and Mike Green are going to break that down for us. And then after that, sprinkled in, we're going to have what you can do. So how you need to be thinking about this. How do you future-proof your job? How do you think about this from a business perspective, whether you're you know, an executive at one or running one? how to think about investing using AI. And some of them are going to be, be tutorials. So super pumped about this. I think we're all going to learn a lot. So we'll keep telling you where you can register for that. But this is why we're doing it because it's affecting every conversation. Eric, I think, I don't know about you, are your clients asking you about this all the time? Because I think every person that we have on, no matter what asset class they're looking at, because of the role this is playing in macro, AI comes up. Are you experiencing the same thing? Absolutely. I mean, now it's part of exactly, it's part of every, it's part of every conversation. Um, it's part of what, you know, it's part of my, uh, you know, job. I'm, I'm using, using AI as we, you know, as we speak and, um, and, and other people are, and, you know, everyone knows it's going to be transformational and there's just, but there's more, there's more questions than, than answers, um, around how to, how to profit from it and what the impact um, is so, but absolutely, it's part of every conversation I have. Yeah, and who the winners are, right? And it's it's so we're so early in this um, that there's a there's a lot to unwind. So Matthew, make sure you roll up for that conversation with Mike Green and Nardo. Um, there'll be a schedule out on, on when to find that. Uh, so let's let's look at some of the questions. So 
Uh, Lewis was asking, um, are we at, what about Bitcoin and are we at a tipping point for the US dollar, Euro dollar specifically? So I think as far as the, as the dollar goes, you know, part of the reason that you've seen the most recent rally um, has been partly it's been a, it's been a squeeze to, to some degree. Um, and I think that the, and I think people are shorted for very good fundamental reasons that I certainly believe in. Um, and so my more medium term view is, you know, is negative on, on, on the dollar. Um, but I think from a short term perspective, I don't necessarily have a strong view and I think it's very difficult, tricky, but with the current, uh, the current positioning. Yeah. Um, Bitcoin, I'm going to assume you you do have a view on because you're worried about risk assets. Andrew also asking, is it a good point to take profits on Bitcoin since we're all waiting for the recession to come for a visit? Yes. And so I think Bitcoin has certainly, you know, certainly of late benefited from, um, you know, from the liquidity being added to the system. And I think it is a prime candidate to suffer um, as as the liquidity gets you know, dries up over the course of, of, of the next six to 12 months. Um, also, if you look at the money supply, the money supply continues to be negative. Right now it's about negative four and a half percent year over year, which I think will also be a, uh, a headwind for Bitcoin, so. Uh, Ralph asking, what do you think is gonna happen to the yield curve over the short to medium term? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. I think part of a, um, you know, hedge for uh, for being short equities is to play is to play the yield curve because you know, like I said earlier, I think it's saying you know two very different things. Um, you know, embedded within the two year um, are you know, one cut uh, from the Fed funds rate this year, and then more cuts um, more cuts next year, and then clearly a ten year is uh, is pricing in. Um, a fair degree of, of cuts. If you look at the five-year break-evens, you know they're pricing in two percent inflation. I think it's two point zero seven percent inflation. So, from a the bond market's essentially saying the inflation problem is really done and behind us. Now, I think they're saying that because of their uh, their economic outlook. So, I think in a situation where we, to the point earlier, you know what happens to the curve. I think. You know, in a situ situation where the economy, you know, finally starts to roll over, I think that the long end is going to be much stickier, uh, meaning yields will go down a lot less on the long end than uh, has historically happened before in economic downturns, because of the because because the Fed essentially has, has kept rates at you know five percent and and inflation is still something that is still a sticky challenge that's uh, that's out there. Yeah, it, so you do see inflation because this is uh, this is still a I think a matter where people are very divided. You know, you have the people who think inflation is going to stay sticky, and then you have the people who think because of what we're seeing in the economy, yes, there's some dynamics around the debt ceiling and and the but you're going to see that roll over. But you're not in that. You're in the sticky camp. So, yes. And so, what I mean by what I mean by that is, if the economy stays around where it is right now, where we're growing GDP one two percent um, a year, then I think inflation is going to. And we have asset prices uh, where they are now. Inflation is going to stay a problem. I think the way that inflation 
will ultimately get squashed is from an economic downturn, from the unemployment rate mm-hmm. rising, um, and you know, from asset prices falling. So absent that, if we fast forward three or four, five months from now, and the S&P is above 4,000, the unemployment rate is three and a half percent, I think the Fed's gonna be hiking more because I think inflation is going to remain a, it's gonna remain a problem. Um, housing, you know, in inflation, I think is going to come back. And some of the goods prices that have been softening, I think would reignite mm-hmm. in that scenario. So that's part of the reason why I think that the, um, you know, the bear case in equities is, is attractive because you, I think you're going to have this ceiling where if the economy stays where it is, asset prices stay where, where they are, then inflation will be a problem and the Fed will have to, you know, get involved again. And so that's sort of the dynamic that I think is going to be, to be looming out there. And I know a lot of people talk about the fact that we we just haven't been in that inflationary environment in a really long time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to, you know, if you're using the playbook of what we've seen over the last two decades, um, even further than that, four decades, you're it's it it's not going to work this time. Um, again, this is a this is I think where so there's so much sort of um, divided opinion. Uh, we will be doing an AMA or an extended daily briefing with Raul and um, Darius tomorrow. And I think that we are going to talk about that a lot because that this is sort of core to where a lot of people disagree, especially as we're trying to look out into the second half. Question from Joseph, uh, Eric, where could you ask Eric where to put fresh money, any sectors he likes? I'm going to broaden that out and say any assets. Sure. Where, where across assets do you see the best either opportunity or at least safety maybe? Sure. So um, my favorite play right now are our money market funds. Uh, I know that sounds, I know that sounds boring. Um, right now, money market funds, you know, before fees are yielding 5.35% um, after fees are somewhere around 4.8, 4.9. You get some tax benefits depending on which ones you buy. The earnings yield right now is also 5.3%. The last time that the earnings yield and the money market yield were equivalent was in the year 2000. And so this is something that we are not used to getting an actual yield in money market funds. I know it's been six months, but that's that's a you know small period of time in the scheming in the scheme of things. For the last 15 years, essentially it's been zero. And so when we think about risk-free daily liquidity, that type of yield, it's extremely attractive. If we go beyond that and we look within, uh, within equities, I think that my, my view has been that you want to be, that you do not want to be in cyclicals and you want to be in secular growth. Now, as a, you know, sort of a market neutral strategy, uh, that has now, you know, it's played out in a pretty big way. And so now it becomes a lot trickier around where to be. I think healthcare is probably my number one, um, you know, favorite area because you do get some growth and you also get um, sort of a much more pure defensive and has lagged because the choice for secular growth has been, has been to go to tech mm. as opposed to some of the more secular areas of healthcare. Um, but I do think that would work um, going forward. And then, then just I would just say one more thing is just you know beyond that, 
Um, I do think that gold is going to work. It at one point got to be somewhat of a crowded uh, trade on the long side, but uh, that I think has dissipated uh, somewhat. And I do think gold is going to uh, trade very well. Fantastic. I'm so glad you brought that up because we had three different people asking about gold and we hadn't hadn't had a chance to get to it yet. So SAS Trillionex, and there's one more person out there. Um, I hope that answered your question. Eric, um, tremendous. This has been such a great conversation. Um, it's a difficult market out there. Um, and I know you said money markets were boring, but there's nothing boring about making money. So we That's appreciate right. you helping guide us on your thoughts right Thanks, now. Thanks, Maggie. I enjoyed it. It was great. Um, and so just remember those programming notes, folks. Uh, Raul and Darius on for the extended tomorrow. Tomorrow, it's still at four. For the rest of the summer, we hear you. We feel your summer Friday vibes, and we will be matching you and moving it to one. We'll remind you about that. But tomorrow, it's still at four live with Raul and Darius. And then we'll continue to give you information on how you can register for our AI Festival of Learning, which is going to take place over the course of two weeks. Um, we need to know everything we can about this to stay informed. So we hope you'll join us. Really great conversations. Eric, thank you so much. Thanks to all of you for watching. As always, take care and good luck out there. This episode of the Real Vision Daily Briefing was sponsored by Calshi. Calshi allows investors a chance to profit from being right about the outcome of events. Sign up at calshi.com slash realvision now to claim $15 towards your first event contract today.